just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today's episode feels incredibly special. I sat down at the end of 2020 to record an interview with my friend Joshua Phillips. Josh is a circus performer, a new dad, and he was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, over 20 years ago. I consider Josh to be a very good friend, and I had never heard him talk about this before, so I am very honoured to bring you his story. In this episode, Josh talks about his diagnosis at 11 years old, what obsessions and compulsions look like for him. We discuss the misinformation floating around about OCD and a message for Kylie Minogue. Welcome to That's So Chronic. If everyone at home, you don't know of my friend Josh, I am extremely excited to introduce you all today. Josh, you are an amazing circus performer. What would you say are your circus disciplines? How would I describe you? Um, my, my main circus discipline is balancing stu- on stuff. Yes. So balancing on a ladder, balancing on chairs, uh, which falls under the equilibristic category. Uh, would you define yourself as an acrobat? I think you're an acrobat. Yes, I'm an aging acrobat. So I'm 36. Yep. Which in acrobat years is ancient. Yeah, over the hill. I can still do it. <laughs> and you are also an amazing craftsman. You make all sorts of wonderful pieces of furniture and circus props and equipment. Yeah. Well, before I started circus, I did a furniture making degree mm-hmm. uh, in in timber in in wood furniture, and uh, and now with all the lockdown, I've had time to, to get back to it, or a lot more time to get back to it. And probably one of your most proudest achievements is creating. One of my favorite human beings in the whole entire world, my beautiful niece, mm-hmm. your beautiful daughter. Congratulations. Thank you. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's a handful. I wouldn't expect anything less of her. <laughs> but we've got heaps of time to spend uh, together with all of this and no touring. Yeah. So it's been, she's had a stable life. Yeah. Which is what not we're, we were not expecting no, that. No, not expecting that at her. all. I miss her so much. The border closures, this is probably the most heartbreaking part. So I'm not even going to talk about it because I'll probably just end up bawling my eyes out how much I miss her. But what we're actually here to talk about today is that you were diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. So to start, what is your definition of OCD? Because I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there in terms of OCD. There definitely is a lot of misinformation, which is a big reason why I reached out to you to discuss it. Yeah. Uh, my definition is it's pretty much 
compulsive behavior. It's, I like to think of it, it's a condition that makes smart people do dumb things. Okay. That you can't help. Yeah. Uh, repetitive things and uh, checking things and worrying about things obsessively. Yeah. And, and there's a, a chemical in the brain that you have a, an imbalance and that's what causes it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the sero- serotonin levels. Serotonin, yes. Yes, I get confused with that and sertraline, which was the drug I was on. Right. But, yeah, the serotonin uh, is an imbalance and it. you've probably done more research than I have. I, I, was di- I was diagnosed over 20 years ago. Yeah. So a lot of my information might be out of date with how fast the medical world moves. From, like, I watched a, TED, a TEDx education video on it mm-hmm. and they were saying that they yeah they really have no idea how it's actually how it actually starts and why some people have this but they're thinking that there are three areas of the brain that are affected with OCD right i don't i don't know how to pronounce all of these areas of the brain but essentially it's like the the social part of the brain which is also involved with the creative planning mm-hmm. and the voluntary movement part of the brain and then the emotional and the motivational responses yeah. which is interesting how did this all start for you i was very young i probably 12 I'm just trying to get my timeline right. I know I was diagnosed in 97 or early 98, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll come back to. But when I was maybe 12 or could have been 11, starting to exhibit uh, the compulsive behavior, which is checking things and turning lights on and off. But I can get into what I used to do yeah. a bit later. So how did I find out? Yeah, like what was the first, how did this all escalate to then go, oh, I need to find, work out more about this? Yeah, well, it wasn't well known at all. I don't think it was well known. I think people with OCD hide it a lot. I know I certainly did. Yeah. And so I had these compulsive behaviors that would take lots of time. It would ruin concentration, but... In 1997, there was a movie that came out, As Good As It Gets. Oh, okay. If you have OCD, you would have heard of it and people would have told you about it. But it was a Jack Nicholson movie about a man with OCD. Oh, wow. My mum sat me down and there was a news report on a current affair Okay. about people in the real world with OCD coinciding with this, you know, this movie coming out about this man with OCD, and it sort of went through what they were doing and watching that news report, sort of my mum and I, we both realised that this this is definitely what I have. Okay. So then we sought medical attention. So what did that diagnosis process look like? I guess we, we went to a GP and then I got referred to a psychologist or a, a counsellor. And I started cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Which involves, there's a few different things that you can do, and it's things like exposure, exposure and prevention, uh, counseling, talking it through, because what you're feeling is quite illogical. Yeah. And, and you know, 
you know that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But you just have to talk it through. And I was put onto medication for it mm-hmm. fairly soon after that, which is sertraline. Okay. And that's a, an antidepressant. Yeah. And I think there were there's a number of antidepressants. And I didn't realize that, you know, all antidepressants are different yep. drugs yep. that do different things. Uh, and I didn't know that you could treat it with antidepressants. And I didn't really know what they were. Because during this time, you're probably like, what, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Adolescents with these weird behavioral compulsions. From my research, what I have uncovered about OCD mm-hmm. is that and it probably seems so obvious when I break it down like this but I really knew I didn't know a lot about it really and so people that have OCD have these obsessions which could be like a fear of harming themselves or a fear of someone they love dying or fears of certain words, colors, numbers. Yes. A whole number of things. Yeah. And then they have rituals that they use mm-hmm. and they perform to mitigate that anxiety that those obsessions are creating. And those are the compulsions. And they can be a whole range of things from counting things, tapping, touching, repeating movements. Yes. Washing hands, cleaning, organizing, a whole number of things. And I think the, the organizing is what people really associate with OCD. Yeah. And it's not really that people think that you must be a clean person, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean tidy. You might wash your hands three times when you need to uh, or or repeat the same movement, but it doesn't mean that you're a a clean person per se. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the hand washing is because you have this fear of dirty hands it could be that the hand washing is the ritual that is the fear for something else yeah you did it the first time you didn't the first time you washed your hands didn't feel right yeah so you do it again yeah and it, and a lot of that is it didn't feel right so i have to do it again until it feels right and oh oh time consuming back then when you were starting to realize that you have OCD, what Mm. were your obsessions and what were your main compulsions that you were doing? I had a fear of nighttime. Okay. Not uh, not fear of the dark. A fear of uh, bedtime because I knew that's when I would do most of them. Mm -hmm. So I would wake up and I'm like, oh, great. Morning time. It's the longest time until I have to go to sleep again because I would go to get into bed and then something would happen. Yep. And then it would be 45 minutes later that I would actually get into bed and turn the lights off because I had to go out and check something outside. Yeah, I had uh, I had birds when I was a kid and they lived outside and I had to cover them at night. And then I'd cover them with a towel and put a board down to hold the towel in place. And if that didn't feel right, I would lift it up, check that the birds were all right. Maybe I'd hurt them in some way put the towel down, put the board back on, do it again and again until it felt right. Then I'd come back inside and uh, I think a lot of people have this is light switches. I'd go to turn a light off, but I have to turn it off, on, off. Ah, okay. And then if that didn't feel right, I had to do it two more times. Yeah. Like off, on, off, off, on, off. So it was three of three. Yeah. And then sometimes that would be enough, but then if it wasn't, I'd 
do it again. Yeah. Do it again. And as an adolescent, I had, you know, you know, when you're growing up, you got these possessions that, you know, things that are important to you. And I kept some of them in a, in a cupboard in the wardrobe in my room. And I would open the door, like open the door of the wardrobe. Oh, they're still there. Close the wardrobe. If when I closed the door, it didn't feel right, I would do it again. Yeah. And again. And that would happen dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my, my stuff's still there? Yes. Hasn't fallen over? No. I'll close the door. Oh, did, it, did it fall over then? Okay, no. And really what you'd think is really petty things, which is embarrassing, and you'd hide it. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people didn't know. Yeah. Uh, another thing, when I was younger, I repeated a year in primary school, mm-hmm. and I would probably attribute – that to having OCD. There was, um, say, if I'm I'm reading, if I'm reading words on a page, I would count the words in groups of three. Ah. I wouldn't read. Wouldn't I'd like. I'd be reading along, but I'd be looking at the words, just counting them in groups of three, not counting the number of words, but I'd just go like, okay, one to three, one to three, one to three, uh, until I got to the bottom of the page. Yeah. And if it didn't fit. If there weren't, uh, if it wasn't divisible, if the words on the page weren't divisible by three, I would go back and count the letters. Wow. And then if that didn't work, I'd add the spaces. So my comprehension skills suffered a lot because I wasn't taking in information at school. I wasn't, I wasn't getting all the information. I was just counting words on a page compulsively, repetitively. Back then when you were at school, did you have a feeling that if these words, punctuation, spaces, everything on the page didn't divide by three, something was going to happen? No, not not necessarily. Yeah. It was just it was just a for stuff like that didn't have a compulsive uh didn't have a um there weren't any negative impacts that I thought would happen. Yeah. There was other simple things like turning a page would take forever. You know, when you're reading a book and you think, oh, maybe maybe the pages are stuck together? Yeah. You, you do that thing where you you rub the pages and you try and get, try and get the pages unstuck. Mm-hmm. I would do that compulsively. I'd rub the bottom corner of a page, you know, think that they're stuck. And that's even if the, even if the pages were numbered, I'd still do that. Yeah. But then if the pages weren't numbered, it I'd do it far more, far more. And so so books took a long time. Yeah. And when you're at school, that there are a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that this started for you and all of these things happened or did it escalate over time? It must have it must have escalated. I can't quite recall. There must have been a ramping up because I don't think someone wakes up and then suddenly does all of these things. So it must have been one thing and then, okay, oh, this as well. Oh, actually, I'll, yeah. I'll check this again. And how was this all fitting into your life then? Like, was it affecting relationships at school? Because I can think when I was 12, I was going to sleepovers and I imagine that if you went to stay at someone else's house, like a friend's house, this isn't something. No, it it didn't it didn't affect me 
at school or friendship wise mm-hmm. at all, really. Like I said, people people they find ways to hide it. Sometimes you can turn it off or turn it down for a little bit. I remember talking to my counselor and he, I was leaning on the table with my arms on the table and he asked, he asked me if that was a problem that my hands were on a table that other people had touched. And uh, I said, no, no, it's fine. I know that before I do certain things later, I'm going to wash my arms and hands. Yeah. So I was able to not switch it off, but delay it. So there were certain things that I wouldn't do until I had done something else compulsively. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, fairly normal, which is why I think most people didn't know I had it. How long was this going on until you were diagnosed? Maybe a couple of years, but it, it would have, it, it must have ramped up. Okay. I mean, I was, I was, 11, I was 11 and 12. So in 97, that movie came out. Yeah. It's another gift I have is knowing when movies came out. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So I would have, yeah, been diagnosed soon after that and then I went on medication soon after that because the counselling just wasn't wasn't enough. Okay. When did you start to notice effects of treatment? Well, I went on medication. I started, so I went on Zoloft, which is a sertraline, and I started on 25 milligrams and I eventually got up to whatever the maximum dosage is. Okay. Might have been. 200 milligrams a day. Uh, so that must have been a few years. I had a I had a girlfriend in high school while I was fairly severe. Mm-hmm. So she must have known. It was that same thing of, you know, when you leave, when I when I would leave a room and I'd turn off the light switches until it felt right. Yeah. A similar thing. Whenever I'd leave my girlfriend, I'd kiss her goodbye. And if it didn't feel right, I'd have to do it again. Okay. We just probably the best part <laughs> of OCD, um, but is also a problem. Yeah. You know, I have to go. I can't. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going. Um, so I think when I left high school, I started, I must have, I weaned myself off the antidepressants. Okay. Which is not a great idea. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to, I knew I had to wean myself. I knew I had to wean off antidepressants. You can't just stop taking them. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't like the side effects, which I think is a bit, uh, a bit of lethargic and unmotivated sometimes. Yeah. Or maybe I was reading up on the side effects and I didn't want those to happen. And what I didn't know, uh, so I didn't, I didn't have depression yeah. while I had OCD. I had obsessive compulsive disorder and it was treated with antidepressants. What I didn't know is that when you go off antidepressants, it can trigger depression. Right. And that happened to me. Okay. So a little while after I went off antidepressants, I fell into a depression and then I had to get treated for depression yeah. with antidepressants. Yes. I got back on the same medication to treat depression now, which uh, I guess it would have also helped with the OCD, which I was still exhibiting some symptoms. When you were diagnosed and you started this treatment, I know you were really young, so you might not remember, but was there a sense of the future? Or did the counsellor say, you know, you're going to have this for the rest of your life? Or was it a sense of we can do these things and we can stop you from having obsessive compulsive disorder? I don't, th- I don't think there was any promise of 
we're going to get rid of this. Yeah. It's we're going to manage this. Okay. It, it doesn't, it doesn't go, it never goes away. Mm-hmm. I still have sometimes, I still have some um, behaviors that creep in often when I'm not concentrating. Okay. I'll still catch myself counting words. Yeah. Probably when I'm tired or, or not really concentrating, I'll, I'll lapse into that, but I'm able to stop it now mm-hmm. better than I used to. I imagine that that was just such a habit for you. Like it's hard to kick any habit, isn't it? Yes. And it's at that age, it's wrapped up in your identity right. as well. Yeah. So I think, I think when you're, when you're that young, you're, you're really trying to figure out who you are and that's who I was. Mm-hmm. That was part of my identity and it wasn't something I liked, but it, it it was wrapped up in, in who I was. Once you left school and you said that there were still signs of OCD that you were exhibiting, mm. what did that look like for you when you were then leaving school? You're a little bit older now. How did OCD fit into your life? It By then it was more manageable. Mm-hmm. I no longer feared those rituals that I would perform at night and they they were much less severe. Okay. So that was uh, that meant that I, I felt like I was a bit more of a normal yep. human being. Yep. Still there, the, the, I think the, my behaviours were sort of the shadow of what they used to be. Mm-hmm. As you've gotten older, have you noticed that anything can trigger another relapse, I guess, of these behaviours? Like I'm thinking, would stress be something or a huge life event? Does something like that trigger anything? No. No, I've had plenty of life events happen that haven't triggered OCD. Yeah. I think I, I take longer to do things and I do thing, uh, I perform normal tasks probably more carefully than most other people would, which is great for when you're... So like you said, I, I do a lot of woodworking and it just takes me longer to do things. I think I'm just more careful and I think things over a lot more. I think about, you know, performing tasks and like what's the, the worst case scenario always pops into my head. Yeah. So I would delay doing things and I'd stop doing things. And during COVID, I'm trying to fix that by doing lots of tasks as quick as I can. Okay. That's my, that's my goal. I'm trying to do projects every week Yeah. and learn new things and do them quickly and proficiently. So, yeah, that's that's probably left over from that, that taking care to do things. Yeah. Not in everything, mm-hmm. just some things. Okay. I mentioned before that you have just become a dad. Well, not just. It was over a year ago now. Yeah. Did being a dad – because the reason why I'm asking this is because in my research, I did uncover a few dads that have OCD mm-hmm. and that – they were really frightened of hurting their child or that something was going to go wrong if they didn't do these rituals. And I'm wondering whether anything after becoming a dad happened for you. It's hard to, it's hard to say. I don't know how much of it would be just being a dad. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, of course, yeah. Or how much of it is the OCD. I think, I think a lot of parents would be worried about their kids in the night or... Yep something something horrible happening to them while they're asleep and and ash is a really good sleeper and she'll sleep for 12 hours which is amazing amazing she gets it from her auntie definitely (laughs) but then if she's 
sleep for 12 and a half or if it's 20 minutes after when she normally gets up there's a lot of anxiety but i think that's just being a parent yeah or it could be it could be both mm-hmm. but there is lots of worry and not not about not about normal parent things it's it's all the what ifs okay like she'll, she'll climb up on things and i know she's fine but then yeah i think that's just parents yeah that's just parents in general yeah i guess we mentioned it at the beginning about this misinformation that is out there with OCD Mm. and I have uncovered that there are a lot of myths around this for example there's a myth that it's just all about being clean and being organized which we talked about before Mm -hmm. and that it's just OCD is just when people wash their hands all the time or there's also a myth where we all have a little bit of OCD inside of us and that if you just relax and you just stop it, nothing bad's going to happen to you and it's all fine, just stop and that you can just stop these things. How do you feel about these myths? Yes, and the the, the clean one is a big one. Uh, I think when I've told people that I had it when I was a kid, I think the most common answer is, oh, I must have had the cleanest room growing up and you you wouldn't you wouldn't know I had OCD just by looking at my room and people people who say I must have had a tidy room growing up is like saying all people with autism are great at counting cards yeah right the I mean the clean it's not it's not so much about the cleanness it's about the ritual I think yeah so I I I probably had a very messy room Actually, I know I had a very messy room. <laughs> I, I knew where things were and they had their place, but it wasn't it wasn't ordered or structured in a tidy way. Yeah. And people people I think people like to self-diagnose themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, a clean freak would say, Oh, my OCD kicked into overdrive, like it's something they can control. Yeah. That annoys me a lot. I was going to say, how do you feel about people using the term OCD as an adjective? Yeah. It's, it's, I don't mind it too much. I think if, if you know what you're talking about, yeah. but um, when people misdiagnose themselves or others, uh, like a tidy person doesn't have OCD necessarily. So you, you can't, you can't attribute to, to that one thing. Yeah. There's always a, a plethora of other um, compulsions that would go along with it usually. And saying someone it's like saying someone who swears has Tourette's. Yeah, right. That's not that's not what it is. Yeah. There's a lot more. There's a lot more that goes along with it. I think a lot of people might go, oh, well, maybe I have OCD because when I leave my house, I am stressed that I've left the oven on or my hair straighteners on. Is that the same sort of obsession that someone with OCD goes through? No, well, it, it, that's quite a rational fear. Like I, I, I was cooking my breakfast. Maybe I didn't turn the stove off, and if I didn't turn the stove off, the house will burn down. Yeah, and that's a little bit different. That's 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 quite logical. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was me and I've done this, like maybe the stove's off, I would go back in, and a visual check isn't enough. I'd have to turn the turn the dial until I knew it, I knew it was off. 
I knew it was off. Maybe maybe the dial's broken and it's actually on. But so I'd check it, and check it, and I would I would occasionally break dials or things like that because you're twisting it so far until it's turned off, and then oh, I've broken it because it's not meant to be. Yeah, it's not meant to be twisted that far. Uh, and then you turn the stove off, and then you just check the other things. Oh, okay, I'll check the back door, even though you didn't go outside. I'd check that. And then I go back there, and then you'd catch yourself checking this cupboard again. Yeah, you just ducked into the house to turn off the stove, and now all of a sudden you're checking this cupboard, and then you flick the lights on and off again, and mm-hmm. then then by then you've forgotten about the stove, and like, oh, do I turn the stove off? I better go back and check. Yeah, and you do it again. Yeah. So if you're able to go and check the stove, and oh, it's off. That's great. Maybe you need a, a mnemonic device to. To help you remember, like you sing a little song when you're doing it, and then you know, I've I've done stuff like that where, like, okay, I need to I need to associate something with the fact that I've done this. Yeah. So I don't go back and do it. Right. Yeah. So some people some people do that, uh, and that that helps. But uh, it's the irrational, it's the irrational irrationality of it that makes it obsessive, rather than just irrational fear. Yeah, because like you said. You just cooked maybe for breakfast. It, that's completely rational that, yeah, you might have left it on yeah. because you were just using it. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like going back and then having to check this cupboard that your stuff is in when you haven't been near the cupboard no. all day, but that's like triggering this extra part of you. Yeah, and I, um, and I don't even know where all that stuff is that I used to check on when I was a kid. Yeah. All those things that were so important to me. Well, I know where my Kylie Minogue cassette <laughs> is. Still have that. Josh is Josh loves Kylie Minogue, everybody, just so you all know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you went to her concert when we were in Adelaide. Oh, yes. By yourself. <laughs> I went by myself and sat up the front. <laughs> oh, this is too good. Yeah. Kylie Minogue, if you're listening. We could be happy together. Shout out to you. <laughs> I wonder how this all started with this this misinformation. I wonder if it's because maybe the hand washing and the organization is something that people see more often. They would see that. They'd see you wash your hands three times as opposed to they wouldn't see you counting numbers or letters on a page. Yes, that that's very true. It's uh it might be one of the more acceptable forms that people can identify with. Yeah. They can understand that. Like, oh, okay, he doesn't think his hands are clean. Okay, go again. But me leaving a room and closing a door and then having to reclose it, people just don't understand that. Yeah. This might seem like such a odd question, but in the moment, do you understand that? Do you know that you're being irrational or that it's not illogical or that it is illogical do you in the moment think that and know that and you still continue to do these things or yep yep are you not seeing that yep you know you know you know it doesn't make sense okay on a deep level on a deeper level you know that you're being irrational but you can't you can't help it you can't you can't stop or maybe if you stop, something bad will happen. But you know something bad won't happen, but it might. Yeah. But you know it won't. Yeah, you know 
in deep down that nothing is going to happen, but it might. And so, yeah. yeah. I think like I said before, you, you're a smart person. You're doing dumb things and you can't help it. Yeah. With the fear of things and then these rituals, these compulsions that you perform, are you then super paranoid that if you don't do these things, this is going to happen or paranoid that the whole world is against you? It's definitely paranoid behavior, but you're not a paranoid person. Yeah. You are, but not not conspiracy level. Mm-hmm. The world the world isn't out to get you. You're creating these things that in your head that might hurt someone or something might happen unless you do these things and it makes no sense. And, and deep down you know that, but you can't help it. So following on from that, when you have this thought that maybe something bad is going to happen, the ritual isn't necessarily related to that thing, is it? The, the ritual? Because I'm thinking like if you're thinking that something's going to happen to your dad, you then aren't doing something with your dad to stop that from happening. No, and I think people who wash their hands, they're not washing their hands because they're worried about germs necessarily. Yeah. It's not that interconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not opening and closing a wardrobe door because I th- think that someone might get hurt. I get oh maybe there might be, and and I think it, it a lot of people do it for different reasons. Different compulsions might be for different reasons. Yes. Yeah. More to the point. And and a lot of it is it didn't feel right. Yeah. I, I do this again because it didn't it didn't feel right when I did it. Maybe there's no reason behind it, but it just didn't feel correctly done. Can you remember what it felt like when it did feel correct? There was a, a sense of relief. Yeah. I'd, I'd I'd probably breathe deeper. Mm-hmm. It's just like okay, that's it. Now I can go to bed. Did you ever see a pattern emerging that it was X amount of times until you felt that relief? No, but it, it was things like uh, light switches. I think three was a big number for me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, on, off, uh, off, on, off. No, on, off, on. Okay, now light's on. Off, on, off. Yeah. Okay. For that, and then if that didn't feel right, do it again. Yeah. So that, that pattern of three happened a lot with me. Did you ever notice your OCD creep into work or performing parts of your life you mentioned about taking a lot of extra time when you're doing your woodwork Mm. I'm wondering if it if you noticed it when you were working on other projects or in the performing community no as a as a as a performer and definitely as an acrobat it never crept into into my work Mm -hmm. or it didn't I didn't let it affect other people that's not to say that that doesn't happen with other yeah. people. But if I knew I had to catch someone, they were going to get caught. Yeah, I might have uh, I might have things I do in preparation. I might rub my hand, like rub my fingers a certain number of times, or or do a, a thing a certain number of times. But it would never affect the moment yeah. that, where things had to happen. Yeah, and it was also coming back to that thing that I I could I could pause them. I could pause compulsions if absolutely necessary. Yeah. Knowing that there were things I would do later to yes. f- fix it or, or to get back to normal OCD. 
it's 2020 now. That's, like you said, over 20 years yes. since you first, OCD first entered your life. Mm-hmm. How does it look like for you now? Uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that I have OCD anymore. Yep. I definitely do. But knowing how severe it used to be, yep. for all intents and purposes, I don't have I don't have that. Yep. I have things that I do ritualistically, but it doesn't it doesn't affect my life mm-hmm. anymore. We've been friends for a really long time now and mm. your message to me was the first time I even knew that this had been in your reality and in your life. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of people a lot of people won't know this, so it'll come as a shock to a lot of people, but knowing how much I needed the help when I was that young. Yeah. I think getting it out there and letting other young pe- particularly young people know I think for adults, the cycle must be a lot harder to break. Yeah. I think adults are a lot more stubborn and set in their ways. So I hope I hope they're getting the help they need, but I know that a lot of adults won't. Yeah. But uh, if a, a parent listening and you see or notice these behaviours, there's things you can do. What would you say to somebody who has someone in their life that is exhibiting these behaviours, whether that be a family member or someone that they love, a friend, what would you say to them? Ask them to talk to their GP. They'll they'll have all the info and can direct you to someone who can. Yeah. Because there's behavioral therapies. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go on antidepressants again. Mm-hmm. But if I if I had to, I would. Yeah. But there are, there's other there's other treatments that you can that you can do, and talking it over with someone helps helps a lot. And what would you say to someone, yeah, like you back when you were 12 and all of this was happening? What would you say? It's it's fine. I think the stigma around it is going. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot more people know what it is, even if they don't know exactly what it is. They know the word. They know the term OCD. We didn't know it in the mid-90s, had no idea what it was until that movie came out. Yeah. No internet. I'm going to watch that movie, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's, I can't remember. There's also there's also a couple of episodes of, did you ever watch Scrubs, the TV show? Oh, it was on in the background. I didn't religiously watch it, though. There's a couple of episodes where Michael J. Fox plays a doctor with OCD. Wow. And that, and that is, I actually watched it not too long ago, and it's really well done. Okay. And because it's in... I think Scrubs did a lot of medical things quite well. Yeah. And when he when he first when the character's first introduced, he walks into the building and then he has to do it again. Oh. And he has to do it again until he gets the steps in sync with his breath right. And it's sort of a funny moment. And a lot of shows would probably poke fun at OCD like that. But they did, and then he would go about his life as a doctor. And then the end of the episode is him after a surgery washing his hands. Everyone's gone home and he's there washing his hands repetitively and flipping out and uh, I think throws some things and he knows that he knows that things he's, he's smarter than this, but he can't, he can't help it. And then everyone's gone home and, and then it's him switching on and off a light. It's just in this empty hospital 
and as, and I think that was really well portrayed of the condition. Yeah, I will put it in the show notes so that people can know what season and what episode to to look at, and also the movie. I haven't I haven't seen it in years. I don't know if it holds up. Yeah, if it's aged very well. <laughs> but uh, if if you want to know what OCD is like, you, did you ever when you were younger and walking home from school, did you ever pace your steps so you wouldn't step? on the cracks of the pavement. Yes. It's like that, but not being able to switch it off. Yes, yeah. You are amazing. I am so honoured that you wanted to share your story with everybody listening at That's So Chronic. Yeah. Uh, there's not many people I'm going to talk to about this. <laughs> you're, one of the, you're one of the very few. Well, I am so, so, so appreciative, and it means so much to me, and I'm sure it means so much to people that are listening that are going through this themselves or they have someone that they know. Thank you so, so, so much. No worries. And thank you so much for listening. I never take for granted the strength and courage that it takes every one of the guests to share their personal stories. And I love that I get to share these conversations with all of you. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Send me a message over on at That's So Chronic on Instagram so I can spread the good word. And if you haven't already, press that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify and leave a review. That helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope. And to also try and connect with Kylie Minogue. <laughs>